Hello again, and welcome back to ZachCast, the official podcast for local government nerds. I am Chad, that's Pat, and uh, we're back and better than ever with a couple of interesting things to talk about uh, after a brief hiatus because Patrick is uh, doing two things. One, nursing some apparently terrible allergies, and two, nursing some butthurt over last night's game six. Uh, how are you doing, Patrick? Um, I'm doing okay. My Astros, you know, I'm... I'm not a Fairweather fan. I'm always there. I was there when they lost 100 games. I'll be there when they win 100 games. It is what it is. So thanks, Chad, for getting the jab in. I'm not sure how the Rangers will ever make a playoff game, ever. They're so terrible. Did you but, see the Rangers last night? Uh, they did, they were not poking fun so much at the Astros because they don't really have room to. But uh, but they did post uh, congratulations to Ron Washington, former, former manager, now third base coach for the Atlanta Braves. Correct, was, yes. Yeah, well, that was, I mean, that was, that was, that was nice. You know, Ron had the, you know, he managed the team that famously lost in game six, right? Oh man, that was brutal. Yeah. So I can't but, look at Nelson Cruz the same way anymore. Yeah. To be honest, the hiatus is, is not because of my allergies. The hiatus is because October and November are traditionally our busiest months of the year. Right. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes life just yeah. comes at you fast. Correct. And we, uh, we had Texas Municipal League this, uh, this go around this year. We got back to that, which was nice. Really good conference, uh, able to hang out with a lot of our clients and do a lot of fun things. And uh, we got to go to an Astros game while we were there because it was in Houston. Um, but but yeah, we're, we're kind of back at it. Uh, things are uh, still not slowing down. We've been incredibly busy uh, for the last couple of weeks. And seems like cities are, are really in an upswing right now. And things are going pretty crazy. Speaking, Speaking of, of upswings. Upswings, <laughs> yes. There we go. Chad, talk to us a little bit about the comptroller's press release on what we expect to see in the sales tax numbers next week. The ever-elusive, high-quality segue. Okay, so yesterday, the comptroller released statewide sales tax numbers for October sales. 25.2% increase. Actually, I uh, this is actually, I'm sorry, September sales. Uh, this is October state revenue, which then gets allocated to loca- localities in November, right? So very confusing. September sales. 25.2% growth. Now, these numbers, Patrick, are nuts. Yes. Like, so March sales, April sales, right? Those are coming off the year-over-year base rate issues with the closers from last year. We've talked about those when they came out. You could expect big numbers, right? Uh, double-digit declines in 2020 because everything was shut down. You're obviously going to have that rebound in 2021. But this has persisted every single month since then. I'm pretty sure that the statewide data has been 20% or more every single month since March sales uh, were released. And while this doesn't track 100% with local governments, uh, because this tax base is different and things like that, um, it's usually pretty close to the statewide totals for all local governments. So we're probably looking at 18 to 20% growth when the numbers come out next week. And uh, I don't know. What are your first thoughts here, Pat? I'm scared. I mean, it's it feels like a bubble, right? Which doesn't it, make a whole lot of sense, but it, the numbers don't make sense either. The numbers don't make a lot of sense. It's not like 2006, seven and eight when we had, you know, pretty normal growth. And then we had pretty normal pullback. Um, you know, when we, we saw, you know, most cities were seeing 11 to 15% losses in sales tax when we went into that recession um, back in 08, 09. I mean, it just, it, it worries me, you know, and, and, and to be fair, uh, it worried you really early on. I mean, you added the inflation measure 
to the collections page on Zach when? I mean, it's been six months, five uh, or six probably, months ago? It's probably about three months ago. Yeah, once, months ago. once inflation started consistently being above what we have seen over the past decade, uh, we added that back in. So we don't use the the economy-wide CPIU. We use a one of the modified schedules that is more closely tailored towards things that are sales taxable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it doesn't include vehicles, doesn't include a lot of other things that are not taxable. Uh, it's mostly retail goods and electricity. Last month, that number was 7%, right? So if you have like a 10% was, growth number. I, check that. It, it was like 7.7%. I think Okay, it was, so almost 8%. Yeah, right? it was almost but, 8%. Yeah. But if your numbers are at 10% growth, but the things that people are buying, the inflation on those items is about 8%, then that spread is not quite what it seems. So I think it's fair to say that inflation is a is a component in these ridiculous growth numbers. Population growth surely is part of it because Texas is growing like a weed. But even when you put those things together, it doesn't explain all of it. And so, you know, when data comes out next month, uh, we'll kind of deep dive into it and see where those changes are coming from at the local level, at least uh, on a somewhat statewide, uh, not fully representative, but pretty close sample. We we do have about 20% of local revenue uh, to kind of dig through. But just looking at these top line numbers, yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to see what the delta is once you get past inflation, once you get past population growth. Well, I, I, look, I mean, I I think a lot of this is inflation. Uh, I'm I'm just not. I won't get off of that one. I, I think we're seeing a lot of inflationary measures that aren't necessarily measured by CPI, right? Um, what you see right now in the supply chain issues that are occurring, and the price increases that you're seeing across the board. Um, is 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 being affected in sales tax. And it's just every item is going up, fuel is going up. Um, the the cost of all goods that are put into other goods are, are going up. And it it's it's an across the board impact. And I just don't know if the CPI measures that we use right now are correctly showing that. Is there something else like population growth and just the ability, the spending power that's out there? You know, the thing is, is like, there's not a huge increase in consumer debt at this point. Like there's, uh, there are things that we're, we're looking at and we're seeing that don't reflect a lot of the tracking that we do. And so when you say, is it a bubble? I'm not really scared because it's a bubble. Because I, I think Texas is in a really good position as a state. I think Texas reopened quickly. I think our businesses have been able to kind of sustain better. Um, and, and I think we're going to be in better shape there. I think people are still employed and our employment sector in Texas is still pretty healthy, but man, I am, I am worried that I can't justify my concern is not that it's happening. My concern is, is that I can't find exactly why it's happening. Um, and, and that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, you can look at the individual taxpayer level data across the state or in your, in your city and see which taxpayers were up, right? But that doesn't give you the full explanation of why it's up this much for for this long after you know that that base rate recovery from from last year. Correct. And 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 to be fair, and, and not to be political, but there is a lot of government money out there right now, right? There are there is a lot of American recovery funds and. Um, you know, a lot of people with kids are getting checks in their bank accounts that just hit, they get an extra 600 or 1200 bucks a month, depending on how many kids they have. Um, so there, there is a lot of money that's kind of hit 
at the same time as we have shortages of things, which has made things pretty interesting. Yeah, household savings during the pandemic increased significantly. Did yes. they not? Right. So you come out of the pandemic, so. people actually have more money that they have to spend. Right. So it's a contributor. The supply chain issues are a contributor um, to that. So the Fed met, was it, they started their two day meeting today and they're expected to Correct. start tapering some of the bond buying. Yeah. Which, which could have some economic consequences on its own because people are afraid if the bond buying stops, that there's some debt out there that won't get purchased. Right. So um, concerns there, uh, but, but I think you're right. You know, there was a huge savings that occurred during the pandemic. Cities weren't really affected by the pandemic because the adjustment from spending um, that occurred moved into taxable goods, like Amazon deliveries to the house. And, right. It went from services know, and amusement to home improvement projects and, and they were still retail spending. Right. So, so certain right. sectors of the economy were harmed. But when you look at the sales tax generation across the whole tax base, cities were able to pretty well sustain. But if you look at your budget and my budget, we were still, even though we shifted our spending, we were still saving 10 or 15% of our monthly budget that we usually would be at a restaurant with, right? Chad's is probably more like 40 to 50% of his Not monthly Not me, because we just door dashed. You got to remember yeah. when, when that stuff happened, we had a, uh, we had a brand new infant. Uh-huh. And so we couldn't yep. take him anywhere. So- yeah, it was it was tough to uh, with the other two kids and the newborn. You know, cooking was a little bit harder because we were just so occupied. So the convenience of Uber Eats and DoorDash just ate up all of the restaurant budget that you know we would normally have spent. <laughs> True, but I, I mean, the reality is is that we there was you know consumer savings. We are seeing some of that stuff come back. I mean, just look at the stock market. Look at look at what's happening with like Royal Caribbean and and what's happening with Hertz and Avis. All these, or Avis and you know all these other different types of users that are out there uh, that are you know travel based. I mean, we're starting to see that uh, Wall Street is seeing money return to those areas. So spending is is starting to happen again in tourism, uh, which you know is is interesting. But I, I really just feel like. There's a large, the thing that scares me the most is, is that it's very difficult for cities to understand what is real new money and what is inflationary money, right? Not only that, I got a text by somebody that I really respect in city government the other day who said, how do I figure out my wages for next year? I mean, should I be doing mid-year adjustments on wages? I, I can't give a, you know, a, a 12% wage increase to a city employee. That was kind of the text that was sent to me. And I said, look, if CPI is 12%, they're losing money unless you give them a 12% raise. Like it just is what it is. That's the math. Um, but should cities be looking at, I'm getting 20% more in sales tax, property values really aren't going up as much as that. They they are going up, but they're not at the same rate as sales tax. That's only because they're capped. Uh, and it's uh, correct. I mean, they're, they're capped. So that cap is not going to keep up with inflation in this next year. I think the 7.7% number that we showed last month is too generous, too friendly. I don't think it's high enough. Well, um, if you think about if you think about the actual costs for wages, you know, in the market, even if say there's five percent and your primary revenue source is capped at two and a half percent, yeah, you're relying on this sales tax growth. And the question is, is it sustaining? Is it going to be sustainable over the next 12, 18, 24 months? Because if you're dedicating, I mean, salaries are 
60 to 75% of your budget, right? Staffing costs, Correct. at least maybe yeah. not all salaries, yeah. but if you're jumping that by 10% and relying on these 20% sales tax growth numbers to cover that indefinitely, that's kind of, that's a tricky situation to be in. It's a really tough situation to be in. I did an in-person demo uh, yesterday uh, with Allison. We went and traveled to a city and did a demo. And it was, you know, a, a city that historically has had, you know, nominal growth, but just, you know, not anything crazy. Uh, and they're seeing nine to 10% growth. And at the same time that we're showing them nine to 10% growth, I'm saying, but our inflationary measure inside of Zach is 7.7%. So you're really just seeing normal nominal growth that you always saw, right? Um, I, I think at the end of the day, my concern is cities getting behind in the providing cost or providing services because the revenue is not going to keep up with the inflationary cost. That's that's where I'm concerned. Sales tax are going to be fine, but that's only 30, 40, 50% of their budget in most communities. Some crazy communities out there have 100%. They'll be fine, right? But the, the reality is, is that it's not, they still have the property tax segment, property tax is capped that inflationary measure is going to be capped. And so you're, you're going to have like almost a deflationary measure on property values if this true inflation stays intact. Now, will we have a little bit of a collapse in real estate because it won't sustain that inflationary cost when materials or if materials come back down in cost? We've seen it in lumber, have not seen it in steel, but we have seen it in lumber, haven't seen it in concrete or... Um, any other building materials like windows are outrageous right now. You can't yeah, even buddy, get windows. You can't get you, garage yeah. doors. You can't get, uh, you can't get anything hardly. Correct. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I said this on our last podcast or another one, but uh, I, we, uh, I have a buddy of mine who's building a house and they are drying in the house with plastic in the window spots, because if not, they will be six months behind on delivery of the house. The windows will be the last thing and the brick right around the windows. That will be the last thing they do in a house. Uh, which is really interesting, but that's that's the world we live in right now, and it's it's wild. Uh, so, how long does that actually last? Do we continue to see it uh, at this rate? I don't know. Yeah. Um, now, I didn't expect to get into the wage question, but this does present a kind of an interesting topic because the labor market is so strange right now, right? There's like all the, there's all these vacancies in terms of you know job openings that people are having a hard time filling. Some of that is sector specific. But in a normal world, you could you could kind of gamble a little bit and say, let the market dictate what we have to do. Like if we start losing a lot of people, that's that's your nudge that you do need to increase your wages by more than just your typical two or three percent, whatever you normally do a year, right? But the labor market's not quite working that way. So that may not be the best way to make that decision. Mm-hmm. You might get caught really far behind, <laughs> just unable to uh, to catch up. But again, if you're relying on these large, large sales tax increases that you don't think are sustainable to fill that gap, what happens if we go back to a normal four to five percent growth rate, uh, and then all of a sudden you're sort of caught off guard, unable to actually fulfill those costs? Well, I mean, let's look at what has happened to Chili's, right? Just in the service and food industry. Chili's has been unable to keep employees. And so they have merged managers and individual wait staff into higher volume stores and closed or reduced hours in lower volume stores. We've seen that all over the map, all over the state of Texas, right? You have a Chili's that is only open at night. They're not open for lunch or, uh, but a higher volume Chili's is open all day, 
right? They're, they're basically, because of their staffing issues, they are having to adjust their service levels. When does that happen to cities? You know, uh, when you lose road folks or park staffing or uh, water staffing or whatever else that may be within your utility funds, especially in your labor side of things, um, where it's a little harder to figure out how competitive you need to be in wage. Uh, ooh, man, that, that could be extremely dangerous for cities because they have to hold on to those folks. And so um, you, you really need to be focused on that if you're not focused on it right now. I mean, if, if CPI is increasing truly by six or 7%, um, and there's a city out there that can be more aggressive in pay uh, because of the way their revenue mix is, are they going to be sucking people away or are other industries going to be sucking people away, which is what we're really seeing is, is people that are using this opportunity to flip to an industry that they may have better opportunities in, right? Um, and and I, I think we need to be cognizant of that as, as we move forward with this. I, I think some cities could get caught with major staffing issues. Um, and, and, and that's going to impact them just like it's impacted cities with the policing issues and staffing issues within their police departments that we've seen over the past couple of years. So speaking of policing and staffing, um, that's a, that's another good segue to uh, talk about what just happened in Austin last night, Chad, we talked about this earlier last week. I think early last week, we got into a conversation about the proposition that was on Austin's ballot to require Austin within their police department to have a staffing level uh, that of the FBI national average, I think, right. Which is like, or no, the expected, it was, it was only two per thousand. Okay. So two per thousand. So they wanted to make sure that Austin PD, it was a proposition that would have required them to have two per thousand uh, from a staffing perspective of officers. Interestingly enough, it failed miserably, right? The final yeah. vote. Yeah. I mean, it was, and, and, we, so when we started talking about this, we were talking about it from a standpoint of public safety because every every police department or every police chief um, that uh, is worth their salt always pushes for staffing, right? It just is what it is. Every city manager on the other side is always pushing back on staffing. But in this case, almost everybody uniformly involved in that normal process, from the officers to the Thank chief, you the police union, the police union, the management, the council everybody was against this proposition. And it's not just because Austin's defunding things like everyone, even people who are on opposite sides of the budget question were on the same side on this one. And, and this is a really interesting topic because I, I think these propositions that come up that then restrict the ability of management to properly manage the city in real time to see this fail was was encouraging. I think from a city management perspective was extremely encouraging to allow the professional process of Austin uh, as crazy as the People's Republic of Travis County may be, right? To allow them to do what they needed to do from a staffing perspective. And that all sides kind of coalesced on this issue after only a year and a half ago or so, we had this huge argument over defunding the police department in Austin uh, that happened politically. Everybody kind of came together and said, but wait, we shouldn't be forced to fund a specific level of service in the police department if it's not necessary. Right. Yeah. That's the question. Cause the problem with this particular item is that it would have required so much extra money, not even accounting for the fact, and this is one of the biggest problems with staffing in police departments is there are always, especially in large cities, always vacancies that cannot be filled. Yep. And despite that, 
cities will typically still add authorized positions because that AP count is really, really important. So you're just putting this money aside that's not going to be spent. And unless you're doing some kind of salary savings, you know, jujitsu with your budget, then that money is just sitting there. It's either going to be reallocated at some point during the year when some emergency pops up or it's just not going to get spent. And so one of the arguments on this was, you know, not only is this going to, not only do we have all these positions that we can't fill right now, they're already vacant. Uh, you know, we don't have enough training courses throughout the year to fill these spots. Then we're going to add an extra, what was it like $400 billion or million dollars yeah, four hundred million budget, and there's no way to raise that revenue, right? I mean, it, this, this wasn't like we want to add some kind of tax or we want to add some kind of fee in order to pay for this. This was just this needs to be reallocated from other parts of the budget. And yeah, what you said, I think, is the most important thing from a management perspective is things change fast, and hamstringing the operations of the city to some arbitrary number when it may or may not be in the best interest of public safety is a really, really tough thing to put to, to do. And, and that's, I think, why, in large part, you had such agreement <laughs> from the actual uh, you know, city side on, on whether this was a good idea. Well, you've seen a number of those in, in this election cycle that just ended yesterday. You, you saw that happen in a couple different places. This is not the only area that that has occurred at. You, you also saw that management perspective come out of Minneapolis, which obviously has its own level of turmoil when it comes to the police department. But you saw the voters overwhelmingly there deny the removal of the police department in in favor of like a public safety commission. Yeah. The news it, doesn't yeah. the it, news it, doesn't really report it correctly. They kind of say that you know they they wanted to get rid of their police department. Yeah. They wanted to transition to a public safety commission. I mean they would like, have still had a police department. But it would have been an independent third party from the from the city manager slash mayor side, right? They would have no impact on the policy. It would have been underneath a public safety department that would have included other things, right? But like you're still going to have police. But yeah, so that got roundly rejected. The the strong mayor proposition was approved, though, that kept more power in that mayor's role as opposed to diffusing it to the city council, which is. I'm not sure if that fits any sort of narrative on this particular discussion, but also interesting. Since we're there, shout out to the city of Alito, who now officially is a city manager form of government after their charter election last night. Uh, pretty exciting for all the city manager nerds out there. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, I have a friend of mine who's the manager of uh, Canfield, Ohio. Uh, as you recall, uh, Wade Calhoun used to work for us years ago. Uh, they had put on the ballot there that... Um, a proposition to recall for the ability for residents to recall the city manager instead of the city manager being accountable to the city council that failed fairly overwhelmingly as well. Uh, so I, I just, I think it's, it's always hard as a city management professional to explain to the world what we do and why we do it. Uh, and so when we have the opportunities like this Austin proposition or like a small town, who's going for a charter that includes a city manager form of government, it's exciting to see people have the conversation about why you need good professionals in the, in the business. Okay. So talking about uh, being able to move fast, I sent you an article yesterday from Strong Towns, which we will not talk about today, but it kind of touches on the one topic that we both agreed to talk about. And also one more mm-hmm. that I will just throw out there uh, just, just for fun uh, because it's relevant. So the article was about simple rules for complex systems, right? We have built a system where planning professionals 
have to do so much planning that they can't actually keep up with it mm-hmm. and also do their day jobs. So you end up with cities that have these really, really old plans that are restricting growth and redevelopment and change uh, because that's just how they set it up a long time ago. And they just haven't been able to get back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about that in a future episode because I think it's an interesting discussion, but it does tie back into this idea of hamstringing decision-making on the fly, right? Um, we talked about the logistics issues and supply chain issues. And one of the big issues with that is that our ports are just overloaded and they can't bring anything else in and no one can bring anything else back out. And there was a, uh, one of those sort of heroic Twitter feeds a couple of weeks ago where the CEO of Flexport took a tour of one of the ports in Los Angeles County and just threw out a handful of suggestions, one of which was to relax the zoning rules and allow these container storage yards to stack more than two containers. That was basically the limit. And so mm-hmm. because of that, they couldn't get enough out of the, the actual ports. So this went viral and the, they temporarily changed the zoning rules to allow, I think, up to five to be stacked. And one of the complaints I saw was that, well, what about a, a huge breeze comes through and knocks these over? It's like, we live in the middle of Tornado Alley. And if you go yeah. to about two miles down the road, they're stacked like six or seven high. Correct. It's yeah. off the highway. Like, I think it's going to be okay for a little while. But um, but yeah. We, you, we, to be clear, you live by the basically the Alliance Land Port, yes. which is where all those containers come in by train. They get stacked and they get taken throughout Texas. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so there's that issue, which I think is interesting. First of all, just considering how zoning could actually play a pretty big part in the supply chain issues that we have today. But the other is uh, another Twitter feed that I sent to you, or a tweet storm, as it were, uh, about a guy named Zach Klein. Who is Zach Klein? The CEO of Dwell and the co-founder of Vimeo. So -hmm. this guy, he's one of those guys who's going to- Lives in, hold on. Lives in San Francisco. Lives in San Francisco. But what I'm saying is, this is a doer, right? He's he's a go getter of wrong things. So, Let's be very clear before we say this: of wrong things. If you have speed I, issues, I, I'm not willing. Design it has nothing to do with speed bumps. Sorry, I just ruined the story just, for yeah, you. Yeah, spoiler alert. Okay, so spoiler alert. So Zach Klein lives on a road where people speed, and he requested speed bumps be installed on his road, and the SFTMA, which I assume is the Transportation San Francisco Transit Management Authority. Okay. They told him it's going to take 30 months to get them installed if his application's even approved. Okay. So so before we get into the story, though, if somebody calls your city hall, Chad, and they say, I want a speed bump installed, what should be the immediate answer? No. No. (laughs) No. We don't don't even review speed bump applications. Speed bumps are the worst. They're Um, terrible. Yeah. So I had an idea once for a speed bump that they break the fire truck. That's supposed to be the answer you give them. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I heard somebody in a city hall say that once, and I'm like, I don't think that's true, but it's such it's a good cost response. a million dollars. They should be able to survive dollars. a speed bump. <laughs> but I had this idea for a speed bump that is uh, speed sensitive. So as long as you're driving below the speed limit, it would give as you drove over uh-huh. it. But as soon as you were driving above the speed limit, it would harden. So it's like an right? airbag. Some kind of like super fancy material that was able to adjust based on how fast you're actually driving. Somebody's invented this at this point though, right? 
hope so. I, I, I don't, I don't know if it's a good idea or not. You got to check like the, you got to check like Finlanders, Sweden. Yeah, that's probably, it would it'd definitely would be Scandinavian. Scandinavian. Uh, okay. So anyway, Zach Klein goes to Amazon. He buys a, a uh, speed bump for $140 and he sets it out on the road and he says, guess what? It works. And he hilt, and he hilty bolts it. No, he did not. Oh, he didn't. He just laid he it out. There. He just set it out there. Okay. Uh, so he says he watched 20 cars go by. 50% of them slowed down. A decent number of SUVs slowed down. Uh, the only self-driving car that he saw did not slow down. And he's got several videos here. I'm not sure. There's no update since the 24th. So there's no update about whether the city came in and took it away, which I suspect that they did. Yes. It's an interesting question here, not just about whether speed bumps are the best option for traffic calming, but this sort of guerrilla tactics, just sort incremental, of you know, incremental guerrilla tactics. Well, I mean, theoretically, this is a strong towns type solution, right? We're going to do the smallest thing that we can do and see how it works. $140 for a speed bump is pretty small versus a speed taking, bump that you could pick up and take somewhere else at any point yeah. as well. So, you know, you could test it. But versus taking a 30-month process to get through your backlog and then finally review whether it's warranted, probably go mm-hmm. through some traffic study. I mean, how much is that going to cost? Correct. A lot of time and money to just throw a speed bump out there and see if it works. And so to I, be clear, I sympathize with the intent, even if I don't agree with the solution. To be clear, I dislike speed bumps because I miss them 99% of the time, right? And I hit them hard. And two... When we worked in Hudson Oaks, we didn't have curbs. Everything was bar dishes, right? And so our residents would come in and they would say, we want a speed bump. And, and, and we'd say, we don't do speed bumps. And they'd say, why? And we would tell them, because they'll just drive in your yard. They'll literally just move to the right of the speed bump and put one tire in the yard so that they can hit the bump faster and harder. And you'll just have this big dirt trail in your yard that will occur. And so that, that was really the reason why we were against it. But this guy, Zach Klein, going out on his own. Is this responsible? What if somebody got hurt? Yeah. So that's an interesting question. There's always the possibility of that happening. Now this, I think that he put this up literally right in front of a stop sign. So the odds of that happening are probably lower than if it were so just it's not even a tr- It's not even a true test. I mean, but nobody in the Twitter sphere said anything about this could be unsafe. Uh, there was one person here who drove around it into oncoming okay. traffic. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's not safe. <laughs> that's not safe. Yeah. So, um, I guess this is this is an important thing to ask, though, right? Because if you are not responsive as a city, and you, I won't say force, but strongly encourage your residents to just take matters into their own hands, then yeah, you could end up with a situation where people get hurt because you are not able to actually respond to questions and scenarios and try to improve things. I mean, a 30 month backlog, it's almost three years just to consider a speed bump. Even if that's not the best solution, there there probably needs to be a redesign of the road or some other kind of longer term solution, which would require some creativity to do incrementally. Mm -hmm. But if if your best answer to them is I'll talk to you in three years, they're going to take matters into their own hands. Do you think you can legitimately tell the speed of a vehicle with your eyes? No. Okay. That's my problem with speed bumps. Most people believe cars are driving much faster than they actually are, right? 
every time we would get a complaint from a resident, no matter what city we were in, we'd go do a tra- traffic speed study, right? Where you put a cop out there for a four or five day period and they check speeds and they write those speeds down. They don't Which write of course, there's, there's no feedback loop there, is there? There's no, no. And so they- <laughs> That was they, sarcasm, by the way. I uh, know. But they, they come out there and they check speeds and they do the analysis and we run you know some statistical analysis on that. We figure out what the average speed is. Almost every time we had a speed complaint, the average speed was not five miles an hour faster than the actual posted speed. And, and so I just, I had a really hard time with that because people would come in and say, well, I think it's fast. Well, I was driving down my residential street the other day, taking my kids to, to church. We were headed to church and there's a guy walking and I pull to the far left-hand side of the road to avoid the side of the road he's walking on. He's got his back to me. He turns around, sees me for a split second and screams at me to slow down. I'm driving 25 miles an hour in a 30 mile zone. It's just people believe things with their eyes. That is not going to be true if they had a radar gun. Now I'm not telling Karen to get out there with a radar gun and start checking speeds, but the reality is, is I just, I think a lot of it is perception and not reality. Yeah. But, and, and design, this is, some and this of it's is, design, right? You build the, a road wider, people go faster. But the perception does matter, right? It does. Part of the part of the so we just we just had Chuck Marone in to uh, the Fort Worth area to talk about his new book, uh, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good book if you have not read it yet. And but one of the things it talks about is that the the design of the road is what dictates the speed, yep. right? If you feel comfortable driving fast, then you will drive fast. Like you you basically the normal human will drive as fast as they feel comfortable. If you make the road feel less comfortable to drive fast, people will drive slower on average. And so it, it kind of does matter though, the perception that if you are a pedestrian and it feels unsafe, then it very well actually could be unsafe. Even if they're not driving as fast as you think they are. Is that not a reasonable retort? Uh, a posted speed is a posted speed. Yeah, right. but that doesn't if mean some, the posted speed is the, the road down the street that like to come to my neighborhood is a just straight up residential road. Mm-hmm. They increase the speed from 30 to 40 because the 85th percentile speed was 40 miles an hour. It's still <laughs> yeah. a residential road. So, I, so I, I do I do agree that the the engineering behind how speeds are posted is ridiculous, right? Like that if if you have if you feel like people are driving too fast and you do a speed study on that roadway and you ask text out to come out and do a speed study they're going to raise the speed limit most likely because of the 85th percentile rule that's in the engineering design guidelines, right? Because it says if people are driving that fast, then it must be safe to drive that fast. And you must just raise it to that percentile in order for people to continue to drive that safe posted speed, which which is a foolish concept. It's just illogical, as Spock would say. But the the reality is, is that when when you look at roads, if you want to slow it down, a lot of it has to do with a design. Not not the posted speed limit. A lot of it has to do with how the road is built itself. Is it super straight? Are there intersections? Is it wide? Which that has a lot to do with it. And, you know, I mean, we did that on a couple of projects in, in our history and it works really well. I mean, road dieting is extremely beneficial. So if you've got a 30 foot wide road and people are driving fast, turn it into a 22 foot road and put curbs on it. And guess what? People will drive slower. Yeah, and trees. In trees, and it's a smaller road, and it's prettier, and you can dedicate some of that right away back to those residents, and they'll be even happier. 
or put a trail next to it or something like that, you know, some incremental change. But the reality is, is speed bumps are like the worst. I mean, it's, it's the laziest of lazy when it comes to trying to fix a problem. It, it just is. And people find ways to avoid them to the point of, I've seen people try to go out and actually cut asphalt off the road, speed bump <laughs> asphalt, speed bumps that are made of asphalt off the road. Well, so. yeah. When I said that to you, I did not expect to get into a discussion about why speed bumps are terrible, but I yeah, guess I'm it makes talking, sense now thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, it, you, you know how often, I mean, it, you get asked that question at whatever city you work in, it is constant. People call and say, I want speed bumps. Right. Well, again, it gets back to planning because we have these traffic calming measures. We have a traffic calming plan. And if this warrant is met, then these measures are taken. Right. There's no, there's no individual judgment in a scenario. If this is what's happening, this is what we do, but we have to make sure it's happening and we have to get to the backlog of everything else that we have to evaluate because we can't just go out and look at it and then make a judgment about what could we try to do to solve this. We have to do this sort of grand, this is going to solve this problem forever um, solution. Correct. I do like the stories. Usually the first people to complain about speed bumps are the people that ask for the speed bumps. It's the things that happen after you install the speed bumps. It's driving in people's yard. It's the sound of a speed bump or a rumble strip that people don't ever think of that. Like the house that's there, they're like, well, I want my kid to feel safe and I want him to slow down and I want him to hit, you know, hit the speed bump to slow down. And then you're sitting in your living room at nine o'clock at night and you hear bum on the speed bump and it yeah. gets annoying really quick. If you want to slow people down, take your 28 foot road and make it 20 foot. That's the easiest way to make it 22 foot. Get rid of pavement, save yourself a ton of money in the 20 year horizon. Yeah. If you think about that, so let's take a, I'm going to do some quick math here. Take a 30 foot road and cut it uh, to 22 foot. That's mm -hmm. 26, 27% decrease in the actual amount of concrete or asphalt you have to maintain. Correct. Pays for itself. Oh, big time. You could easily pay for that concrete ribbon curb that you got to put in to make that road shorter, smaller. And then you can leave some of that old asphalt as, um, you know, some type of like walking trail or biking area. If you wanted to, you could really get crazy. What? Just shift the road over. Yeah. You just, you basically just take an edger. You cut out a portion. Yeah. Of the, road the problem with there is you have to curbing. deal with the curb cuts into the driveways. You got to do the curb cuts in the driveways. You also got to do curb cuts for drainage to go across that side of the road. Some other things you have to engineer. We're not trying to take engineers out of the equation altogether. They got to make money somewhere. But the reality is, is that there are better solutions than speed bumps. We can be more thought provoking than. So what you're saying is that Zach Klein should have just gone out to the road and cut up about five feet of asphalt. I'm, I'm saying hauled that. Hauled it out. Uh, hauled, hauled <laughs> That's it what out. he should have done. Yeah. Made the road a little smaller. And, and he would have been good to go, right? Uh, really what we're saying is, is that there are, if you could think of it ahead of time from a design solution standpoint, you're going to be in better shape. And if you, uh, you can also add medians to the middle of the road, right? You can make, you can make the driving uh, skinnier in the lane and put, you know, landscape median or, or sidewalk in the middle of the road. Uh, my favorite development of all time when it comes to walking trails is uh, Lakeway, Texas. And I don't know if anybody's ever driven there, but if you drive down some of Lakeway's main boulevards through their residential communities, they have a 20 mile an hour speed limit on really thin road. And they have huge middle medians that are parks that literally is just, it's sidewalks and gravel, um, like uh, granite and gravel uh, running lanes that are in the middle of the roads. And it's just, you have to drive slow from a safety perspective. You have to, 
So let alone if you drive fast, you're going to hit a deer because they're everywhere. Speaking of deer, because mm-hmm. we have to have one bad segue here. A deer and deer is the same word. One plural, one singular. The English language. It's hard. It never it's hard ceases to, to amaze. Yeah. I was down in Austin, downtown Austin, a couple of weeks ago. Do tell. Uh, my wife was my wife was speaking at a, a conference, and okay. we were coming back from a little trip. So uh, I dropped her off at the hotel, drove up to the drag, got a stop at the co-op, and get some uh, you know some Texas gear. Uh, this is before we started our three game losing streak, but that's okay. No fair weather fans here. Can we tell everybody what your text message to our team was last weekend? Uh, I can barely watch this team anymore. I can barely watch this team anymore. And when I say our team, the Zach team. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I knew I had not seen the game yet, but I knew Texas was in a disastrous loss position because of that text. So, so I get over to the San Jacinto parking garage. I get up to the fourth floor. I turn the, the car off. It's my wife's car. Cause you know, we went on a trip together. So, uh, and then I try to lock the door, but I realize that the key is still in her purse. So now I'm about three miles away from her in downtown Austin. I'm on like, I'm on North, I'm, at, I'm on campus basically. And she's over by the, by the river. So I got to get down to her, get this key before she starts speaking a, so I can lock my car. Cause all of our stuff's in it, but B also, so I can get the car back to her when she's done. So I'm thinking, what can I do? Like, do I call an Uber? Do I like, what do I do? And then the most amazing thing happened littered throughout the whole sidewalk just hordes of scooters and i'm gonna tell you that was some of the most fun that i had in a very long time in the city of austin was driving a scooter from the drag downtown to pick up her keys and then back up to campus you did this without a helmet yeah i'm not sure our founder's insurance covers you on a scooter without a helmet Uh, well we just won't let the carrier listen to this episode (laughs) this is a lot of fun though yeah that's uh, that's pretty awesome, actually. So was, for three miles, how long did it take you to get there? Uh, I don't know, twelve minutes. That's not. I mean, it's not minutes. bad. It wasn't too bad. I, I'm not sure that it was you three didn't miles. Have the key? Were you like calling her, freaked out? Like I don't have the key. And no, I mean I just. You, you don't have the key. It doesn't give you like a. The key's missing. Well, so she just got out at the hotel. We switched spaces. So it's still on, right? So like, if it was not on already, like if you just turn it on remotely, you still have to have the key to do a full turn on. Mm-hmm. But if it's already on, it will still go. You just can't do anything once you get where you're going. But it doesn't beep at you like crazy. That the it didn't tell me. Uh-uh. Oh, man. So, man. Yeah. But your truck does that, right? My F-150 does. It honks know. at you. I never. The key leaves. If the key leaves the car, it honks. It's like boop, boop. Yes. If the key leaves, it honks. But for whatever reason, hers didn't. So okay. there I was stranded, but man. primed for an opportunity to have a lot of fun driving through downtown. I got to go over by the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Got to like whiz in and out of traffic. Crossing MLK was the scariest one because that's a weird intersection. Yeah, at Guadalupe. Really weird. Uh-huh. But I took some back roads. So like there wasn't as much traffic. Did you stop by 6th Street on your way? Like you I, drove, I went past 6th Street because I think it was okay. right off Cesar Chavez. Okay. But it was fun. Yeah. I would recommend it. It was a little bit scary at first. But once Scooters- I kind of got the hang of it. I mean, you, you, I mean, if anybody's ever seen you in person, Chad, you're kind of the scooter type. Like it's probably fair. You kind of look at you and you're like, yeah, that guy. Like, yeah. That this guy, guy rides a scooter. a scooter. Yeah. He'd take a scooter. <laughs> I don't think people look at me and they think <laughs> scooter type. <laughs> you might be surprised. There are, there are a lot of people 
in like groups. What, what you're saying is, is there's a lot of offensive linemen looking guys that get on scooters. Well, there's a lot of backup offensive linemen looking guys. <laughs> I'm not seeing like Tyron Smith or, you know, <laughs> on oh, a scooter. that was outstanding. That was outstanding. So, all right. What else we got to talk about? I think that's it, man. Is it? Man. We've been going for a while. That's kind of sad though. Cause I, I was really getting into it. Maybe, well, we're going to have to do another one next week because we're actually going to start to see sales tax data at some point, right? Yeah. So, just have to keep all of your uh, side stories to make fun of me. Like, just put them in a sack and man, then I, open them back up next week. It's been a rough year for you when it comes to just like Chad things. Like uh, Texas Cowboys, football. Cowboys are doing well. Man, that comeback. I don't even think we've talked about this, but OU's comeback against y'all, that was brutal. So, I mean... The only that, reason that was brutal. The only reason I like I did not to be clear, I have not poked fun at you about this. I have not Oh, you're more than and, welcome to. I, I know, but I haven't texted you about it because man, I just no man should have to live through what happened. So the only the worst part about that, we went through the exact same thing like three years ago. We blew a 21 point lead in the fourth quarter, but we ended up kicking a game winning field goal as time expired or very close there too. So this time obviously that didn't happen. We did end up losing that game. But I've been in that situation enough over the past 10 years where like no lead is really safe. We were beating tech by 35 earlier this season and I still didn't feel easy in that game. Of course they subsequently fired their coach. Basically everyone that we beat this year has fired their coach TCU tech. It's just ridiculous. So you are like the homecoming game that you should win, but don't win. Yeah. If if you are a coach and we beat you, you should check your contract. (laughs) Yeah. That's tough. TC, it happened at TCU too, right? Yeah. Just, Gary Patterson's gone too. He's gone. Yeah. Um, He's going to get hired by somebody though. He's a good coach. But the worst part of it was the fact that later on that night, y'all played Alabama and somehow yeah. managed to squeak out a win in that game. Well, because like I've said, A&M is a good football team. I just, you know, we, we're Aggies and we find a way to screw it up. Just is what it is. Um. I'm a big believer. I know you make fun of me for this, but I'm the big believer in the long-term contract. I just think it makes a difference in college football. I think if you give a college coach some stability and they're a good coach that they'll make things better. And, and I think Jimbo's done a pretty good job with the program. Um, it's hard to be a national contender in the SEC. Y'all will learn that the hard way. Maybe next year. Maybe it's in hard for us to be a national contender in the big 12. Well, you're not going to be a national contender in the SEC either. You got to play real football, and uh, losing to Baylor is not real football. So there's Baylor not many a, SEC. A, Baylor has a decent team this year. There is not many SEC teams that get beat by Baylor. Period. It just it doesn't. To maybe be fair, there aren't that many SEC teams who get beat by AM typically. Wow, we're going to beat <laughs> Auburn this weekend. Don't worry, right? Uh, we'll we'll be fine there. And then Auburn's going to beat Alabama, which is going to give us a shot at the. National championship. No, it may give you a shot to get destroyed by Georgia. If we get to the SEC championship game, though, right? And let's let's say Alabama loses to Auburn. Alabama has to lose to like LSU too, right? I, I have to no, because we would beat Alabama, so that would have put us in. So because Alabama would have two losses. So the the reality is, is that it that's probably not gonna happen. I mean, but if AM beats Georgia, we deserve to go to the national championship or the playoff. There's no doubt. Georgia's yeah. a great football team. No, what I'm saying is you'll get the right to go get destroyed by Georgia. Oh, I get you. I mean, I think we I think we can beat anybody on any given day because we have a very talented team. 
So that's the problem with the SEC. Everybody's very talented. Yeah. So anybody can win, I'm except if you're LSU because you're terrible right now. I'm just going to leave that one out there and let our listeners shine in on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, well, hey, uh, it was great to see you face to face again uh, over the podcast. And we appreciate everybody tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. See you, Pat. See you.